than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 75 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to look at the next two half hours in the new Adventures of Superman and Adventures of Superboy combination, which aired in 1966-69. We're going to start with the first half hour, which we'll call episode 9 of the series, the the, uh, Superman segment, The Fire Phantom. Then we'll follow that with the Superboy segment, Superboy's Strangest Foe. And then we'll finish off the first segment with The Deadly Dish. And then we'll come back and do, let's call it episode 10, with three stories. The Superman story, Insect Raiders. The Superboy story, The uh, Capricious Crony. And we're going to finish off today's podcast with the Superman story, Return of the Warlock. But before we get to that, there's just some stuff I wanted to talk about real quick. And, uh, you know, it's almost hard to believe we're passing through uh, halfway through season one of my coverage of the first season of this show. You know, when I got to the uh, second segment, I cracked open the uh, the second disc of my uh, New Adventures of Superman DVD collection. It's a two-disc set with uh, all uh, 36 Superman segments on them. And we're doing 17 to 20 in this episode. So, like I said, more than halfway. And uh, what I discovered on this second disc was a featurette entitled Superman in 1966. It's on disc two. If you don't have the disc, you can find it on YouTube in two parts. I'll put those links in the show notes. It's... An interesting documentary, it's basically done in two halves, which gave the whoever put it up on YouTube an easy place to separate it. The first half of the feature basically discusses kind of the uh, state of comic books at the time, and a little bit of what was going on at around uh, the time this show was developed as well. What had not occurred to me, and I found this interesting, I probably would have thought of this if I, if I was around at that time, but I believe it was Mark Wade who described it as a very forward-thinking time in American history with the space race and things of that nature going on. I hadn't realized initially the renaissance of science fiction going on at the time. And when I think about it, 1966 is uh, the year Star Trek debuted. Just a nice bit about how the comics, especially in the Silver Age, were getting much more fantastical and going in a very science fiction-like direction. Or science fantasy, as some would say. There's a nice segment talking about Mort Weisinger, highlighting his contributions to the uh, Superman lore over the decades. And there are many. Most of it, really. You know? And this is something I heard in uh, Bob Fisher's uh, interview with Henry Weisinger, the son of Mort. Weisinger on his episode of uh, Superman Forever Radio. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you are doing yourself a disservice. After you're done with this, go check that out. It's episode... I don't know the episode number off the top of my head, but it's... As of this recording, I believe it's the most recent. It probably won't be by the time this episode drops, but it should be close to the top. You will not be disappointed. And, uh, you know, Hendry Hank points out a lot of... uh, That while Jerry Siegel and uh, 
Joe Schuster definitely provided the foundation of Superman, the bare bones. It's really Mort Weisinger that populated the universe and added uh, a lot of the stuff that we consider part of Superman lore today. So, the second half of the featurette talks about the creation of the series and basically how Lou Scheimer, one of the founders of Filmation Studios, basically tricked Weisinger and the DC executives into giving them the license for the Superman show. To get the license, DC execs wanted to see the studio, you know, fair enough, you know, you're going to pay lots of money f- for somebody to adapt your property, you kind of want to see what you're working with a little bit. Well, basically Filmation didn't really have a studio, and Scheimer basically populated an office with everyone he could find to make it look as though Filmation was uh, more of a studio than it actually was. I can't imagine DC was happy when it learned the truth, but the show turned out to be a- both a boon to DC where Superman's comic sales were kind of slagging, and to Filmation, which found success in cartoons until it was shut down in 1989 by Westinghouse. The featurette does point out the faithfulness of the series to the comics, with a few exceptions, but I did get a kick out of Mark Wade commenting on the same thing I did, that the characters tend to narrate their actions and what's going on, kind of rendering the animation almost redundant. And he made an interesting suggestion, which I hadn't thought about it until he said it, is that... He postulated that maybe the show could be watched without seeing the screen at all and just listening to the audio. If you remember, I commented, you know, almost time and time again, and I probably will again in this episode, about how Superman and the narrator kind of tell us what's going on as we're watching it. The narrator, Jackson Beck, and obviously Buck, Bud Collier were both from the radio shows, uh, which were over and done with almost 20 years at this point. But there had to have been a script where the action is narrated, and I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe I'll do this next for next week before next week's episode and report back i'll watch one of the segments with the screen minimized and see if i can follow it just on the audio alone i have a hunch that i'll be able to but it would be an interesting experiment nonetheless so look for that in the opening of episode 76 i'll give that a try and see how it goes but overall it's a nice informative little featurette one of the few things talking about the new adventures of superman in any way shape form or fashion and i say that with the uh, reasonable authority that as far as i near as i can tell There is no special features on this set for Seasons 2 and 3. So, definitely, uh, you know, check that out if you have the uh, opportunity or will to do so. If you don't have the DVDs, I will put the link to the YouTube segment in the show notes. So right now, I'm going to take a quick break and play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with the Fire Phantom Superman segment, the Superboy Strangest Foe Superboy segment, and the Superman segment, The Deadly Dish. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to start with what I'm going to call Episode 9 of Season 1 of the New Adventures of Superman. The original broadcast date was November 5th, 1966. And the first segment was The Fire Phantom. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. And this segment was written by Oscar Bensall. 
A strange walking flame of fire emerges from a deep mine shaft and sets fire to everything in its path. Clark and Jimmy are out camping on a fishing trip when Jimmy decides to go for a late night stroll. He soon finds himself surrounded by flames and is only saved when Clark awakens to the smell of smoke and quickly changes into Superman. Finding the fire phantom, Superman eventually manages to extinguish it after a couple of attempts. Alright, so, onto this one. I'm just gonna put it all on the table right now, folks. Superman fights a walking fire. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not necessarily sure I have to say anything other than that. It, it's a fire just, it's a fire just uh, you know, walking down the woods. And I hope it's not singing do our diddy diddy dum diddy do, but maybe it is, I don't know. But this one is kind of weak sauce. And, you know, we're going to start with some black smoke coming out of a coal mine, because where else will black smoke come from? And the black smoke will eventually, like I mentioned, turn into a fire with legs. Yeah, you heard that right. The fire with legs. You know, it burns down a shed, and uh, then we kind of move on to Clark Kent, who, like I said, is on a fishing trip with Jimmy. Which is kind of an interesting uh, concept, because normally when Jimmy goes on fishing trips, it's usually with Perry. But, you know, Jimmy is restless for some reason. I guess he's not used to being out among nature, you know. But, you know, Jimmy uh, spots a forest fire, which to me is just an orange glow that extends over the trees. But if it was later in the night, it could have been uh, sunrise. But since Jimmy says it's a fire, then it's a fire and we're going to go with that. Maybe he smelled the smoke. So Jimmy is going to uh, take care of business on his own. He's going to swipe the car and fight the fire himself. And uh, Clark hears the car go off. Jimmy thinks nothing of it and goes back to bed with his glasses on. You know, even when you're sleeping, the secret identity needs to be protected. So meanwhile, our walking flame is wreaking havoc, setting more barns and a bale of hay on fire as it strolls through the forest. So one minute, one minute into a six minute episode. And so far, all we have to show for it is a forest fire and the walking flame and the sleeping Clark. It's off to a magnificent start. So Jimmy is driving excitedly as he gets too close to the fire, but at least Jimmy notices the fire that's kind of walking down the street in front of him. So there is that. Nothing could prepare Jimmy for seeing a fire with legs, and nothing could have apparently convinced him to bring his signal watch along. Ooh. You would think that, you know, if Jimmy's going out there to fight a fire, that probably he should be leaving to the fire department. That it might have been a good idea to bring his signal watch along. So Clark smells some smoke and changes into Superman. Uh, thank Rao for super, super senses. And eventually Superman finds Jimmy, so kind of engulfed in a fire because, you know, the uh, the walking fire doesn't seem to want any spectators. So Superman takes Jimmy out of the flames after a very nice save from a falling tree. The tree fall, fell on Jimmy and Superman kind of came in and pushed it away off screen right. And he literally lands Jimmy in a creek right by a wooden bridge that is probably going to go up in flames the minute the fire walks by. Yes, I know, I said the fire walks by. <sighs> But I guess Superman is going to use the river to protect Jimmy. But Superman has decided that he needs a fire break, so he punches a bunch of trees to uh, contain the fire. It's uh, not much of a graphic here, just Superman uh, flying vertically. You know, feet down, head up, and he is punching the trees in half. So, back to Jimmy. And wouldn't you guessed it, the fire walked across the bridge. And there it goes. You would have think Jimmy would have noticed before the embers started falling on his head, but... He didn't. Not very observant today is our young Mr. Olsen. So now Superman lands in front of the fire, basically says it's time to snuff it out. And first he tried blowing it out. I didn't think that would work. And then he tries beating it out, which I found rather amusing. It looks more like he's giving it a super massage than uh, any kind of firefighting technique I've ever seen. Perhaps it's a good thing that the fire didn't get worse with all the friction. So Superman's got another idea. He's going to dig another trench, and this time he's going to make a waterfall, and that seems to uh, put out the fire. So the uh, explanation is... Okay, Jimmy. Danger's all over. What was that thing, Superman? A, a devil or something? No, Jimmy. Just a mass of flame from the center of the earth. A fire that just didn't want to go out. Well, you sure dampened its spirit. Yeah. 
not much to the science in this one, is there? <clears throat> so now we end with Jimmy and Clark at the uh, remains of the tent. And what remains is not a whole lot. Gee, Mr. Kent, where were you? I was worried about you. I'm okay, Jimmy. I smelled smoke, so I, uh, I, I ran off and, well, hid in a cave. Boy, you're lucky. You missed a frightening experience. Wow. Just thinking about it gives me a chill. Well, say, if you've got a chill, Jimmy, I think I ought to build a fire. Oh, no. I've had plenty of that. Thank you. the humor you know that's mean superman you know what this kid has just been through so not a very good one here superman uh fights a walking fireball which kind of says everything it needs to say about this particular episode so why don't we uh move on to uh our superboy segment Superboy's Strangest Foe, and this is also written by Oscar Bensall. A couple of strange aliens cause panic when they use a number of gadgets to create havoc on Earth. Superboy and Crypto come to the rescue and manage to capture the two beings and place them behind bars. When they go off to investigate, the two heroes discover a spacecraft which has crash-landed, and two adult aliens unconscious nearby. It is soon explained that the two aliens causing the trouble are their children, only using toys, which, on their planet, are apparently harmless. The family is reunited as Superboy and Crypto help get their ship back into space. Alright, another episode of Superboy Saves the Creatures. Seems to be a running theme in this show. So here we are, a couple of uh, bald, greenish aliens hovering over Sm Smallville or someplace. I'm not necessarily sure they're in Smallville, and Superboy covers enough ground in a short enough time that it could really be anywhere. So the, uh, they blow a horn and knock the cops back. Then they fly away, powered by their jetpacks, then they knock down a construction site. It's kind of unclear where this is happening, actually, but apparently a call has just gone out for Superboy over the radio, so Clark has no choice but to answer it. And as he changes into Superboy, I am appropriately annoyed that we get better shirt rips in the Superboy segments than we do the Superman ones. So meanwhile, our mischievous aliens have just knocked down a train trestle as the train goes over. Superboy and Crypto just seem to lift it from the engine, which, you know, shouldn't work at all, you know, physics laws and all that. But it does. We don't even see any more than the front corner of the engine, so it's clear the animators didn't want to bother drawing the rest of the train. Probably a good thing. I mean, you could definitely tell where they're scrimping on the, uh, on the animation. So Superboy and Crypto are now flying after the aliens. Superboy and Crypto grab them and put them in jail. These are all their weapons, Sergeant. Pretty odd collection, eh, Superboy? I'll say. But without them, those two shouldn't be any trouble. I certainly hope so. Please keep an eye on them while Crypto and I see if we can dig up any clues to their identity. Will do. Good luck, Superboy. Alright, they're going to leave them in jail, and Superboy and Crypto are going to find clues to their identity because... by flying away. Okay. This is mainly because the two aliens don't understand the word Superboy is saying. Now, who are you? They don't seem to understand me. You'll handle them just plain dumb. There's only one way to handle this. So, meanwhile, the aliens have burned their way out of jail. You mean, you didn't actually think they'd stay there, did you? Now, I have no idea where Superboy and Crypto are going, but they do find the spaceship, where they find two unconscious aliens. And as soon as Superboy says the aliens are big ones, and the male mentions his wife, I'm guessing the other aliens are their kids. And apparently their toys are powerful enough to destroy the world. What's down there, Crypto? By that crashed spaceship. Two more big ones. My wife and I thank you, young Earthling. What happened to you? We come from a planet in another star system. We were forced to crash land here. Oh, I see. Your boys have been creating panic with all kinds of fearsome weapons. Weapons? They have only toys. Harmless in our world. Some toys. Crypto, 
Go fetch those two youngsters while I help these people repair their spaceship. Now, I'm assuming on their world they would not create something powerful enough to destroy the planet. So I can only imagine what their world is made of. So, uh, Superboy, uh... Sends Crypto after the two kids. Crypto picks them up and they're amused. And then the uh, two alien troublemakers are returned to their parents. And now, of course, the aliens are out of fuel. So Superboy is going to have to throw the rocket ship home. And then Superboy and Crypto go home. I bet that's one pair of kids you'll never miss, Crypto. <laughs> you silly super dog. Come on. I've got to go sweep out the star. Away! So, there, there's that. Another predictable Superboy story. I kind of hate, hate it when I guess the reveal before it happens. And between you, me, and the podcast, I hope your kids aren't nearly as destructive as these two were. So, let's move on. Back to Superman and The Deadly Dish. Also by Oscar Benzel. Luthor disguised himself as a famous professor and hypnotizes Lois, Jimmy, Perry, giving them instructions to place themselves in danger within the distance of his kryptonite ray machine. The plan is to destroy Superman using the kryptonite rays as he comes to the rescue of his friends. However, Superman uses the lead shield and destroys the ray machine and captures Luthor and his henchmen. Yes! I love this one. After two kind of lackluster segments, we are rewarded with this one. Maybe the episode could have used a better title. Something like the Deadly Dish kind of makes me think of uh, some bad food that I might have eaten earlier tonight. But, this is referring to the radar dish that's transmitting the rays of kryptonite radiation that's affecting Superman. So, we uh, start with a plane facing disaster, and apparently the landing gear is stuck, and here's Superman. The pilots, who are very calm while their plane is crashing, give us the whole, uh, it's a bird at the plane and Superman bit, and down they go. As he's landing the plane, Superman comments that he feels weak. But it doesn't seem to affect him landing the plane any. He just kind of gets under it and lowers it to the ground. So apparently the pilots are helping him in some form. Superman recovers, but he has no idea what caused the sudden uh, drain in his powers. And then we get our answer. It's Lex Luthor. And the kryptonite waves from his device are what weakens Superman. It works, Blinky. And the test was a success. The kryptonic waves from my new transmitter made Superman so weak, he almost dropped that plane. Yeah, we only give him a one-minute treatment. What'll happen to him tomorrow when the dish wakes up the full power, Luthor? The kryptonic waves will destroy Superman once and for all. And remember, it takes 15 minutes for the transmitter to attain full power. And the waves are effective only within one square mile. Now we gotta hope your plan to keep old Super Boob in range for 15 minutes will work. It will work. I'll go to the planet office. You can't do that, boss. You're an escaped gun. They won't recognize me. I'll be disguised as Professor Tholur, Dean of a journalism school. So, but apparently Luthor needs to use this device to keep Superman under control, so he's going to uh, hatch a plot, as all good Lex Luthor's will. And uh, apparently, for some reason, the uh, Daily Planet is getting an award, and Luthor is in disguise. He is pretending to be the professor that is giving the, the Planet staff their award. And Luthor sprays them with brain control gas, because any evil genius needs to have his brain control gas handy. And all of a sudden, he is in control of Perry, Lois, and Jimmy. And Luthor gives them their orders. Now I am your master. You will obey my commands without fail. Perry White, tomorrow, at the stroke of noon, you will stand in the middle of Oak Road, facing north. Jimmy Olsen, 
tomorrow you will go to Pier 41. At exactly 12.07 p.m., you will climb onto a piling that has a red circle painted on it. Lois Lane, tomorrow at 12.10, you will enter apartment 2A at 37 Pine Street. At exactly 12.13 p.m., you will climb out on the window ledge. When I snap my fingers, you will awaken, unaware that you've been under a spell. Thank you, Dean Trollor. At separate times, they are going to put themselves in danger. Which kind of reminds me of the Perils of Superman from Season 6 of the George Reeves series. Except, uh, the criminals. Well, even the criminal does it here, too, but he has them put themselves in danger. The criminals took a much more active role in the Perils of Superman. But, you know, it's the same principle here. Every, uh, few minutes, one of Superman's buddies here are gonna do something to themselves. But I was one thing funny about the animation here. The entire time that Perry is kind of under the sway of Luthor's brain gas, the cigar doesn't fall from his mouth. So Clark gets a call from what says it's the police and tells him that Superman's closest friends are in danger. So he changes into Superman and he's off. Superman shows up at noon and he is being bombarded by Luthor's kryptonite waves. And uh, we know it is kryptonite, but I'm guessing Superman hasn't really encountered it yet because it's kind of a mystery to him what it is. So Superman saves Perry as the uh, steamroller kind of rides up his back a little bit. What am I doing here? Don't you know? No, I don't. Explain later. But Perry has no memory of how he got there. And then, uh, Superman goes after Jimmy. He's hit by the waves again, and he's weakened, but Jimmy is saved as he believes he stops him from get, having something land on him. And then Superman, uh, saves Lois by catching the wrecking ball, but the kryptonite waves are hitting them. Superman, you seem weak. What is it? Waves of krypton rays. Spotted transmitter on mountain steel ball has core of lead waves can penetrate making shield but you know what he now he knows what to do he knows the kryptonite waves and he learns fast he's apparently he realized that the interior of this wrecking ball is made out of lead probably he tried to look through it or something he couldn't so he's making a lead shield to protect himself and then he kind of flies to the source of the kryptonite waves and destroys the device, you know. It doesn't take Superman long to think of a plan to beat Luthor, and this is really the best Luthor can do and keeps his segment at about six minutes, so. Then we get to Luthor and Blinky, and I do like this image of Superman holding them up by their shirts like their old laundry, so. Now he flies them back to jail, Luthor just looks angrily while Blinky looks terrified. And now we get the ending where Perry explains what happened. That Professor Tholor was really Luthor in disguise. Yeah, he put us under a spell. So that's it. Clark, did anything happen to you around noon today? Noon? Why, no, Lois. Nothing except a headache. I love the wink, and I'm glad they've decided to adapt that to this show from the George Reeves series. It's one of the staple parts of the George Reeves series, the uh, wink and nod at the camera as George always broke the fourth wall. I loved it then. I, you know, I love that they're bringing that back here as a homage to the Adventures of Superman. So this was really the best of the three so far. I mean, I mean, I like Luthor's disguise and hypnosis ray, and I like the fact that Superman was in danger. I mean, this was one really packed seven minutes of show, one of the most uh, action-packed of the segments I believe I've covered so far. There was some story. There was some danger. There was it was more than Superman chasing an alien and punching it for five minutes. So this was a really well done. You know, I could definitely have seen this being a comic at the time. So. I really like that one. We're going to end this segment on a high note. So let's take a quick break. We'll play a podcast promo, and then we're going to come back with Insect Raiders, 
the Superboy story, the Capricious Crony, then we'll finish things off with the Superman story, Return of Warlock. So, hang around, folks. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! They're here already! You're next! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start the next segment. We'll call this episode 10 of season 1. Original broadcast date was November 12th, 1966. Now we're going to start with the Superman segment, Insect Raiders. Now this was written by George Cashton. A passenger ship is attacked by a swarm of insect men and an SOS alert is sent out. Superman responds to the call and saves the ship when the Insect Raiders try to sink it. The leader of the Insect Raiders vows to find Superman's weakness and kidnaps Jimmy Olsen, placing him on a delicate bomb-filled eggs as a mean to keep Superman busy while he and his army go about another raid. However, Superman devises a method of safely saving Jimmy and swiftly captures the insect's raiders and puts them behind bars. So here we go with a freighter with precious cargo moving toward Metropolis and uh, these lookouts see a whole bunch of green insects swarming the ship. And here comes Superman in response to the SOS, and, uh, you know, they're attacking this ship for no reason other than that they're bad guys. So Superman picks up the ship from under the center and flies it from left to right on your screen and away from the uh, flying insect. And then we find out from both the narration and the images on the screen that the insect uh, men seem to be flying back toward man-made ant mounds. And this is where we learn that the uh, extra-large insects aren't really insects. They're men in insect suits. And the boss here is not very happy with his men. You bumbling idiots! In just a few minutes, you throw away all the years I've spent mastering the mysteries of the insect kingdom. It ain't our fault, boss. Who expected Superman to show up? Yes, Superman. We've got to clip his wings. Yeah? How? (laughs) Even a man of steel has his weak spot. And I'm going to find it. Apparently, he spent a great deal of effort to make up this insect racket, and it seems a long way to go to make some robberies, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. So one of our insects shows up to harass Jimmy Olsen, and he's webbed up, and Clark hears a call for help. Clark changes into Superman, Bud Collier's... This is a job for Superman. Never disappoints, even if the animation in and of itself does. Superman gives chase, but the insect man knocks the statue over with some sonic waves, diverting Superman, and then he's back on the move. So Superman comes face to face with the boss. <laughs> Come into my parlor, said the spider to the fly. Where's the boy? If you've harmed him in any way, I'll... Please, Superman, cast your eyes upon that wall. Jimmy, but what? Those, Superman, are thin-shelled giant eggs, each loaded with a deadly explosive. Why, you... Don't move! The slightest vibration can set them off! Great Scott! Maybe you'd like to stay here and think it over, Superman, while we make another raid. You can't be serious. If you try to follow us, I will explode those eggs by remote control. 
You've thought of everything. <laughs> so long, man of steel! Can't risk Jimmy's life, so... I must find some way to remove those eggs safely. Up! Up! And away! Superman immediately threatens the boss and sees Jimmy wrapped up in his webs on top of some explosive eggs. Yeah, explosive eggs. So Superman is kind of stuck here as he can't chase the insect man without endangering Jimmy. And Superman's written dialogue is rather stiff as really all he does is comment on what the boss is saying. You know, the boss will say something, he'll say, great galaxy, or then he'll say, horrible, moan a little bit. So Superman does his uh, drilling maneuver and he reaches Jimmy. And Superman tells Jimmy what he's about to do as he does it, and he kind of spins around like a drill and draws the eggs out of the anthill by creating a wind tunnel, and then basically punches them to make them explode once they're outside the anthill. It's a creative solution, and the screen shakes a little bit with each explosion. So, at this point, the insects are chasing some planes, and Superman chases them. I like the comic booky action in this cartoon, especially this segment. You know, in live action, when this was produced in 1966, or even now, any time until just recently... You couldn't do this. You know, you could do it now, but there's no way you were doing this in live action in 1966. Now, Superman gets webbed up, but he gets free. Then he kind of grabs a web gun on his own and rounds up the insect men with their own weapons, kind of giving them a taste of their own medicine. But he does, however, deliver a bad pun about wrapping up a shipment for jail. And then we have a typical ending with Jimmy and Superman. Planet, a proud Jimmy Olsen describes his recent adventure to reporter Clark Kent. And you mean to say, Jimmy, that you weren't a bit frightened in that egg chamber? Of course not, Mr. Kent. I knew Superman would find a way to rescue me. Yes, sir, it's great to have Superman for a pal. Nice to hear you say that, Jimmy. You know? And there's a lot more Jimmy Olsen in this cartoon series than the Fleischers, which was mostly featured Superman and Lois Lane. Now, I am betting the popularity of the Jimmy Olsen comics had something to do with the fact that there's much more Jimmy in this cartoon than Lois. Plus, this was marketed toward young boys, so Jimmy kind of represents their point of view. He's the everyman character, and the kids uh, that are watching this show, whenever they're watching it, are experiencing the fantastic kind of through his eyes. So, Jimmy does serve a kind of a dual purpose in the show. Alright, now we're going to move on to the Superboy segment, The Capricious Crony, written by Oscar Bensall. When an underwater volcano briefly erupts, a strange-looking little creature is shot up to the sea surface and caught in the ensuing water spout. Saving a nearby ship from being drawn into the spout, Superboy and Crypto save the little critter as well. Left behind by his master, who goes off to find where the creature came from, Crypto himself, trying to avert one disaster after another, accidentally caused by the fun-loving creature. Finally, Superboy and Crypto fly him back to the opening of the volcano and return him to his family and home. Alright, so this time we've got Superboy and uh, Crypto adopting a pet. Well, not really adopting a pet. They kind of find him and don't really know what to do with him. So, you know, typical little uh, feel-good story, I guess. Creature is lost. Our heroes find creature. Creature is brought back home. Kind of reminds me of one of those uh, animal movies when I was uh, growing up as a kid. I hated those. I always got a little bit upset when the humans at the end of the movie had to uh, send the animals they just fell in love with back to wherever it is it came from. Well, same thing here, except this time it's only five minutes instead of uh, 90. So, we start off with an erupting uh, underwater volcano, which causes a great water geyser to erupt and endanger a cruise ship. Because there's always some kind of cruise ship or freighter being endangered on the water. So with minimal effort, both Crypto and Superboy seem to just lift the boat away from the geyser. Then they put it back down. Hopefully they're not going to get drawn into it again. 
And uh, the geyser seems to be going away, but there's a bluish creature at the top of it, kind of bouncing on the top of the spout. And that's going to be our MacGuffin for this segment, let's call it. What a strange little creature. Wonder where he came from. I guess we're stuck with him till we find out where he belongs. He sure likes you, Crypto. <laughs> you found a friend, Crypto. You take care of him. I'll try to find out where he came from. Up and away! Crypto seems to have taken a liking to it, and it's a cute little creature. It's got a little antenna, a green beak, and a tail. Maybe our super dog here needs a new friend. And the creature seems to return Crypto's affection that gives him a big hug. Aww. Crypto looks frightened, though, and it's rather humorous. Now, the creature does a neat thing with its tail when it's happy. It spins the tip. I guess that's the equivalent of a dog's wag. So, the creature and Crypto play near Smallville's dam, and wouldn't you know, it opens a dam, endangering everyone. It's a mischievous little thing, I'll say that for it. And then it terrifies itself somehow. So, with minimal effort, Superboy and Crypto close the gate, but the flood water is endangering Smallville. Here is Superboy doing that same trick that we previously saw in a Superman segment, where he plows a trench for the water with a tree. It's nice to see that the show's writer is making an effort to have Superman and Superboy uh, deal with, uh, the same problem in different ways, aren't, don't you think? I mean, how many times are we going to have to watch this animation of Superman or Superboy carrying a tree to dig a, a trench to divert water? So far, we've seen it twice. Let's start keeping a tally. So, that Superboy flies into the volcano when he finds a whole bunch of similar creatures. And uh, now, Crypto and the creature are playing at the waterworks. This can't be good. And uh, he uh, woodpecks the pipe, so the creature does, that is. And there's an explosion, and there goes municipal water for the foreseeable future. You know, this little creature is creating more and more trouble. Maybe it's time to grab this thing and send it home. Oh, but, oh, look, it caused a rock slide, too, on top of uh, damaging uh, municipal water. And Crypto kind of gets caught in the landslide, and the creature tried to help Crypto, and it got itself buried. There's a part of me that says good riddance to this creature, but... No such luck. And But, you know, it had good intent, noble intentions. It apparently thought it was sacrificing itself to uh, save Crypto. At least that's what uh, Superboy thought was happening. You know, Crypto, that little fellow sacrificed his life to save you. Poor little guy. How was he to know that your super body could withstand an avalanche? Crypto, do you hear what I hear? And that's a tough thing to make little children watch in, at any time, whether it's 1966 or today. Uh, a cute creature dying, but it died a hero. But at least they thought it did, as it's quickly revealed that the creature is fine. And I must say, after having Superboy and Crypto dig it out, the creature is quite pleased with itself. Kind of lounging around on the rocks, wondering what took Crypto and Superboy so long to dig him out. So, Superboy and Crypto take him home. He's happy, but, you know, Crypto is sad, and, uh... Now that we see because he lived underwater, that's why he was attracted to water in such a desperate fashion. There. You see? He was homesick. He's a lot happier here. With his relatives. Okay? Now let us go home. Up, up, and away! So, away they go. Yet another creature wreaks havoc story. I guess when you have to crank out a bunch of these stories and they have to be short, you really can't do much. So, let's travel back through time to Metropolis, and we're going to witness the return of Warlock. And this was written by Oscar Mansall. Stealing another magician's ruby from a museum, the Warlock is back to his old tricks. To exact revenge on Superman, he sets about toying with his Daily Planet friends. First, he brings to life the skeleton of a dinosaur to attack Jimmy, and then takes control of Lois' car and drives up the side of a building. 
Realizing that Perry White is next, Superman positions himself to trick the Warlock, removes the ruby from his wand, rendering the Warlock powerless, then swiftly flies him to prison. Now, this is how you do a return story. You actually have a previous encounter for the villain to return from. It's not like when we saw Return of Brainiac earlier in, in the series where we never got to see the first meeting with Brainiac. So, so we're going to start with a, a shot of the Sorcerer's Ruby and an invisible warlock. If we're paying attention the way we should be, we would have known who was looking for that stone before he uh, made himself visible. Yes, it's our old friend the Warlock who makes reference to the fact that he's seeking revenge on Superman. And we've seen him before. I don't remember what episode it was, but I do remember the episode very well where Superman made the Warlock raise his hand to uh, get the wand. So so now he uh, broke into this uh, museum to steal uh, the Sorcerer's Ruby. And I guess this is either later that day or the next day that... Here are Clark and Jimmy covering the break-in, and Clark is smart enough to remember the previous encounter and knows the Warlock is behind this. Good. And uh, Jimmy was heavily involved in the first Warlock story as well, and he'll have factor heavily into this one as well. And um, Jimmy is still hanging around the museum, so the Warlock sent the giant dinosaur skeleton after him. You know, because why not? You're a Warlock, you're returning, you want your revenge, you want to screw with some people. Go right to the to the fossilized dinosaurs, bring them to life, and send them after people. It's what any good warlock would do. So, of course, Jimmy plays with his new dinosaur friend a little too close to a window and falls out. And Superman dutifully catches him. Now, there's some nice banter here between the warlock and Superman. But the length of these segments don't really leave nearly enough time for banter. I'd like a little more banter, but, you know, young kids are watching this. Get to the action. So now it's time for him to bug Lois, and while she's driving the turns, he makes her car go haywire. And there it is, driving up the side of a building, which I thought was fun. The building shouldn't hold up to this at all, but, you know, it does. And now Superman has a new phrase, apparently. It's great galaxies. So then he catches the car. We get a little weird sound effect, kind of a... As he pulls the car down the side of the building. I guess the sound effect was supposed to make it sound funny, but... Okay, we'll go with that. And the warlock is using his old trick of turning invisible whenever Superman tries to move against him. I somehow doubt that this time Superman will be able to trick the warlock into raising his right hand so he could take the ruby. So, a little bit before this, Superman had assumed that Perry would be the next target, being that the warlock had already picked on Lois and Jimmy. And sure enough, he's right. Perry is next. Here is the warlock shooting his wand at Perry's car. But at least that gets us a great Caesar's ghost. And this time the car is just bouncing up and down, kind of like it's an out-of-control lowrider. And I'm not sure what this is supposed to be doing to the car, but it's probably giving Perry's lunch a jolt, I'll say that. But this time Superman blocks the beam. Then we get some more banter between the warlock and Superman. Stop where you are, or I'll make that car fly into the ocean with your friend in it. Now look here. Don't talk. Just back up. And keep on walking backward, or your friend goes flying. I said back up, or into the ocean, fly Perry White. <laughs> Bravo! Bravo! Good banter in this episode, I like it. And the warlock just won't stop, obviously. He's not going to stop because Superman asks him to. He is here because Superman bugged him the last time, pre- prevented him from stealing a sorcerer's ruby to recharge his... Uh, one that's dying. Instead of the sorcerer's ruby, like, uh, batteries for the magic wand. So, he tries to use his magic on Superman, and Superman is vulnerable to magic, so the way I understand Superman, the warlock's powers should work on him. I'm not sure when Superman's vulnerability to magic came into play, but I'm pretty sure it was by 1966, but apparently the warlock's powers don't work on him, and Superman's just kind of faking it, because he wants the warlock to push him into this, uh, hole in the middle of the street. 
And then Superman shows just how easy it is to defeat the Warlock. And it really shouldn't be this easy. And the Warlock shouldn't be this bad at his job that he can actually, this can happen to him. Superman falls in the hole, walks into the drain pipe, quietly lifts up a manhole cover, and takes the ruby off the staff. That's too easy. But clever, but too easy. So instead of uh, taking the Warlock in, Superman is going to kind of strut his stuff for a minute. All right, Buster, you've had your fun. Now it's my turn. Wait, stop, or your friend gets it. Really? Gets what, Warlock, old buddy? He gets this. <laughs> Maybe this is what's missing. Huh? Oh, no, you've got my ruby. That's right. And now I'll get you. You going to let him get away, Superman? Not a chance. I'm going to give him a head start, and then a taste of his own scary medicine. He's got the ruby, and the warlock drives away in a green car, and Superman just kind of lets him go. Obviously, the writers must have wrapped the story up a little too quickly, because we need to teach the warlock a lesson and take up this last minute here. So Superman picks up the car and puts it in jail, no due process, just dumped the wizard behind the wall. And then for this episode's ending, uh, Clark gets an opportunity to insult women drivers. So then, believe it or not, my car went right up the side of this building. You women drivers. Oh, you. Always like to hear our hero insulting uh, the driving ability of others. So, that ends that one. You know, I like that one. It's a good way to bring the warlock back. You know, defeating him, like I said, was a little easy, but oh well. And then after that, he could have just grabbed him and sent him to jail without all the theatrics. But overall, this was definitely a solid segment. So, so far in this week's episode, the third segment seems to be the best for both time for both episodes. So next time, I will be back to uh, discuss the uh, next four Superman segments. The Abominable Iceman, the Men from Ape, A-P-E, the Tree of Abora, and the Image Maker. In addition, the Superboy segments, Crypto, the Super Seeing Eye Dog, and the Black Knight. Now, if you would like to send feedback to the show, you can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, you can put the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed and the show should still come up. And you can find the show online at www.2truefreaks.com. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if you're inclined, why don't you leave the show a review on iTunes? That'll help. That helps the show's visibility in the directories and uh, that'll help others find the show. We go out. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I will see you next time. Have a good one. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.